Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we have uh, been for a few weeks now on a series we're calling Peace House. And we're looking at the scripture to answer a question, how can a home bring peace to a neighborhood? Specific question, kind of a big question. And um, today's topic that we're going to tackle easily, I have easily 12 hours of content prepared for you. We're going to do it in just a few minutes, I promise. Uh, but it's one that we have looked at a number of God thoughts already. And so this morning, I want to start off with just kind of summarizing where we are to this point in the journey. And so I'm going to go ahead and put this on the screen and, and read it to you and kind of summarizing um, what we have learned so far. How can a home bring peace to a neighborhood? There is a peace, a healthy state that we can find in Jesus. We can be safe and sound, able to rest and function at full capacity, complete, with our guilt removed and free to enjoy life. Our God wants us to receive it and share it with others. We should understand this, pray for it, and work toward such a peace in ourselves, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our city. In this way, we will pursue peaceful relationships inside our homes through forgiveness. Jesus motivates us to love neighbors by listening to them in an attempt to understand them and build relationships. This listening works best when we host people with food and offer to help them in what they're doing. From this context, we may create new personal relationships and repair broken ones. We will work toward natural peace and we will bring the spiritual peace of our God. Our homes will bring peace to the neighborhood. And here's the topics that we've had so far, the fifth one being today's topic. First, it's a God idea. We open up the scripture to look at what is this shalom, this peace that God talks about it. And how is this possible? And through the, the good news of Jesus, the way that our guilt can be removed and our relationship with God can be made possible and restored. And second, we looked at peace inside our house, specifically the interpersonal relationships in the place where you live. How does that work? How do we find peace in that place? Through taking the forgiveness that God has given us and extending it to others, whether they deserve it or not. Third, we talked about building relationships to love people by listening. And let's be clear, we are specifically talking about the people that God has put in your life, in your neighborhood, your workplace, your school. Fourth, last week we talked about help and hospitality. And thankfully, all of these are available for download or stream on our website, cityharborchurch.com, or uh, through various podcast apps. Today we're going to talk about building and repairing bridges. And we're going to use the analogy of a bridge as it relates to relationships. This is a picture I took some years ago of a bridge. You might recognize it. It's the London Bridge. And it's in Lake Havasu, Arizona. Once upon a time, this is a true story, somebody who had too much money bought the London Bridge and moved it from, you guessed it, London, England, 
in the United Kingdom and moved it to Arizona and installed it in Arizona. You can Google this. You'll f- I'm not a liar. Only on Tuesdays. As they were assembling the bridge, he thought he'd been ripped off because he was thinking about the Tower Bridge, which some of you that know bridges know the Tower Bridge in London looks very different from this nice but functional, very plain London Bridge. True story. In fact, this view is from, there was a little um, hot dog stand next to it where the cast of the first Star Wars movie would get together for vacations on a regular basis. And up until not that long ago, as even some of them passed away, and so you'll see pictures of them there. They, they love this view. This is a, for people in Hollywood, this is a little vacation spot uh, to get away. A bridge is something that connects people that would not otherwise be connected, right? It's something, hopefully, that is sturdy enough for you to walk across. And if it's good, ride your horse across, drive your car across, maybe carry something across to benefit other people. And in fact, the network of bridges uh, in, in a country is very helpful for the people to earn a living, to be able to sell what it, what, whatever it is that they grow and, and transport it. And in fact, the good news of Jesus Christ was able to be shared much broader, in a broader geographic area, much easier because the Romans built roads and bridges and secured them. So a bridge is something that connects people that might not otherwise be connected. And just thinking about your relationships... God's intent for our relationships, for the the bridges that connect us, if you will, to be bridges of peace. But Pastor Ben, you were just on the warpath on this subject of peace. You know, are you a a long-lost hippie? What is going on with you? I'm so glad you're wondering about that. Let's take a look at the Word of God, what the Word of God has to say about peace. Jesus pretty famously talked about happiness, about being blessed, about whom God blesses. And he said, in the New Living Translated this way, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Now, I'm not going to take the hour that we could easily take to unpack just the meaning of this phrase in the language Jesus used and how he said it, but this is a deep truth that Jesus taught that was important that has been repeated by Jesus' followers for countless generations. And yet, 20 years ago, no Christian university in the United States had a peace program. It's easy for us to ignore the things that matter to Jesus. Oops, I did it again. God blesses those who work for peace. I thought this Jesus thing was like, man, we just hang out and it's all good. Why are you asking me to do stuff? Well, this is the words of Jesus. God blesses and he uses this shalom, this God kind of peace, which is holistic, which is about something that is complex, about something that is complicated and is communicating where there would be no deficiency. But where there would be full health, God blesses those who work for peace, and he says they will be recognized by others 
is you're, you're not like us. You're like God. They'll be called the children of God. Psalm 34 and verse 14. Peacemakers plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And we understand that word righteousness to mean healthy relationships between us and God and healthy relationships between us and others. Where there's not bitterness and resentment and anger and hurt over things that have been done wrong or where there is brokenness. But righteousness is where there is good health, good peace in those relationships, vertically and horizontally, if you will. Sorry, that was James 3.18. I got there eventually. Peacemakers plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Psalm 34.14, search for peace and work to maintain it. It's, that's a song. That's a song talking about the way that we should move forward in this pursuit. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, this is this does acknowledge the reality that there are some people that will choose to not allow peace. But the, the word to us is very clear. And it's written to people living in Rome and in the Roman Empire that were followers of Jesus that had fears and insecurities, had pride, lust of the flesh, cravings, jacked up life, really jacked up political situation and economic situation. They were a lot like us. And yet the word of God comes to them, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. Similar context. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. I find over and over people that call themselves Christian and spend a lot of hours in church that don't have peace. I think it's helpful to stop and say why. Why? What's going on? What has God, what has God already communicated about that? What has Jesus already communicated about that? Live in harmony and peace, then the God of love and peace will be with you. This uh, relationship with God thing is an inside-out thing. It's not an external behavior first thing. It's an inside believing in God, receiving His love first. It's kind of warm and gooey in that respect. It's inside-out. And compared to common human thinking, it's upside-out. It's a little bit different. And yet it does engage our actions and our response. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. The kingdom of God, and this is a very important, very specific study that I think anyone who wants to be spiritual should pursue at some point. The kingdom of God. But here we have a really good foundation for a theology of what the kingdom of God looks like. Is a life of righteousness, we just talked about that, peace, the shalom of God, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And if we ourselves or somebody else is claiming to be Christian, claiming to be a God kind of person, a churchy kind of person, and they don't look like this, then there's something wrong, something broken. There's a disorder. Now, thankfully, we can come to God through Jesus. Through Jesus, we can be forgiven of our mess. We can be brought to full health. We can be brought to freedom. That was a really good time to get excited. It's possible. It's possible. This is not written to frustrate us. This is written to inspire us, to encourage us, to activate us, to pursuit. 
That's what the kingdom of God looks like. One thing that I, I hear a lot of Christians quote Jeremiah 29.11, but I not almost ever 29.7, which I think is very relevant to us here in Baltimore. Work for the peace of the city. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Listen, a lot of folks will drift either towards, I just do spiritual stuff, I'm just, it's a, only a spiritual problem, or they drift only towards, it's a natural socio-political problem and we must take action and tell other people how they should be behaving better. I think both are a mistake. I think the Word of God is pretty clear. To be a Christian, you don't need to be spooky and weird. I think the only thing that we see with Jesus as an example and with the other people that are written about in the Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that they were both people of prayer and action. I don't believe in only prayer walks to stop murder. I do believe in prayer walks to stop murder, and I do them. I go to the places where the murders occur, and I pray in those places. That's one of the things that we do. It's one of the things that we believe in. We do believe there's a spiritual element. With Cain and Abel, the very first murder, God says his blood cries out to the ground for me. There is not a drop of blood that is shed in that violent way in which God doesn't notice, in which God doesn't care. He cares. And if our heart is broken at that kind of an event, then we are sharing a heart with God. And there is hope because if we place our hope in God and our trust in God, He is one with limitless resources and even the things that seem impossible to us are possible with Him. Now, it is not that we would only pray and try to accomplish something in the Spirit, but it is also that we should take action. And when we take action, it's important for us to not just take action on our ideas, but to look out, to search out, what are the God ideas? Are you with me? We will find frustration and problem if we just jump out and do what we think is best. Well, that was really helpful. Work for the peace of the city. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is... By the way, written to God's people who are enslaved and held captive by an evil empire. Say what you want about our current president and our current level of oppression and our current level of people being victimized, but we're still not as bad as who this was written to. It's not good. Understand, I don't think our current situation is good, but it's not as bad as the people were going through to whom this was written. Our murder rate is bad, yes. But it's not as bad as the violent death was that was occurring in this situation. There is nothing new under the sun. All the problems we face today were faced before, and the wisdom in the Scripture is relevant to us today. That's good news. God's got ideas. Joy fills hearts that are planning peace. (laughs) Do you know that you can be plotting for good? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
You can plot something good. Joy fills hearts that are plotting peace. How you like me now? So, building bridges and repairing bridges, because I just have a few minutes left. Let me explain a little bit what I mean by that. If you study the whole of Scripture, I think this is kind of a no-brainer that God's into this. Building bridges is connecting people who do not yet know each other for the purpose of improving the health of everyone and the community. Now notice, I'm not saying where you tell someone else how they should live. I'm not saying where you try to fix someone else. I'm not saying where you come in superior. You hear me? Right? But you can connect people that don't know each other. That if they knew each other, their lives might be better. For each person and the neighborhood to be at complete and healthy peace, there are some people who are not yet in relationship with each other who should be. Let's start real simple. You might know a reliable auto mechanic and somebody who needs one. You can be about that, right? Building bridges that do not currently exist, making connections. You might know somebody who's not able to read, and you might know a gifted tutor. You can connect them. You can help foster peace that does not currently exist. Brian just had a tree fall at his house. Well, thankfully, he knows a family that has a tree business right behind him, two rows. Now, where this is a little bit trickier and yet possibly more valuable is helping people that feel they are at odds with certain kinds of people and yet have never known someone like that. So Ronald Beatty Sr. here, for example, had some white people in his family growing up. He had some exposure, some relationship with people that are different than him. And so it may be easier for him to connect someone else who, like him, Baltimore native, African-American, grown up, Ronald's family to move from different neighborhoods in Baltimore, so he and his brothers had to fight their way through to get to school, all the journey that they went through, the east-west, essentially, like, y'all, y'all aren't from around here, right? So Ronald knows people in Baltimore that are like him that don't know white people. So Ronald can have a conversation with them that is a little bit something like, have you ever talked to a white person? You ever thought about what their life experience might be like? Have you? He can ask questions, and he knows some white people, so he can connect them with some white people. Right? Now this, is, this also works the other way around. So Ray has experienced racism from another direction. Ray's had African-American people beat on him, do things to him, mistreat him. And he might know some white people that feel superior to black people. And he can help change their heart, change their perception, and help connect them with some African-Americans and help them understand more about each other. Everybody's getting a little nervous. Y'all just (laughs) calm down. Just calm down. I'm just having fun. Now, this could be across ethnic lines, cultural lines, the social construct of race. This could come across um, educational lines. 
In this room, we have people, adults with a fourth grade education and PhDs. But what I love is that I've not found anybody with a PhD in this church that's acting superior to someone else. You know, I grew up, and when I was a little kid, my family was on government assistance. Now, we had a home. I I was never homeless. But the first time I started to interact with people that were wealthy, I was like, man, I don't know about this. (laughs) I mean, seriously. And I had to deal with, I I realized when I grew up, and, and I spent a lot of my early adulthood helping homeless teenagers. And so I realized when I was in my late 20s and 30s that people that were wealthy made me uncomfortable. And I had some attitudes and I had some, some misperceptions. And I just assumed that they were wicked. Because, you know, Jesus said some stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm being serious. I realized I had prejudice against people that had money. And I came to realize that when I was around people that had money, I felt uncomfortable. It could be likes and dislikes. You listen to country music, I want nothing to do with you. <laughs> I know, the looks I'm getting right now. It could be other things. Um, I love, we, we, we hang out with kids in the neighborhood, our kids and, and kids that, that play around. And I hear some of the most whack stuff from kids about different styles. Of, well, if you listen to that, you must be like this. Am I making any sense? We can build bridges with people between people that would do not are not currently connected and might not be connected if we don't help. Yeah. Right? So Justin and Becky live in Reservoir Hill, right? They direct the White Lock Farm, one of the best urban farms in Baltimore City. And there is some quote gentrification going on in their neighborhood. And so you have people in the neighborhood that might not normally relate to each other. And you have an opportunity to bring connection between those people. You have an opportunity, right? Now, in, in our neighborhood here, there's been plenty of racism. The KKK used to be here, right? This, you can't tell the story of Baltimore without talking about racism. You just can't. It's not honest, right? So one of the things that we found on the street that we live is that there were people that were native to this neighborhood, like three generations deep in that house. And then there were transplants, right? And so you got people that won't look at each other, won't talk to each other. My wife and I constantly, we take our kids, right, the public school, saying hi to people that are native to this neighborhood, many of which for weeks, months, some for years, refuse to look at us, refuse to answer us, refuse to respond. We're the only two people on this sidewalk, and I just said good morning. Now, we had the very good fortune that, as I mentioned recently, the story that fairly early on, a grandmother on the street who was a self-proclaimed neighborhood gossip told us that she had decided we were okay. (laughs) And so one of the things that we have done in this neighborhood is bridge the gap, create bridges that didn't previously exist between people that were native to this neighborhood and people that were transplants to this neighborhood that already had an instilled disdain for each other. Are you with me? This is a God function. Oh, this doesn't sound nearly as spiritual as what I was expecting this morning. God's in this. This is a God idea for you to connect people that would not otherwise be connected. I love walking up and standing with corner boys. 
There's neighborhoods of this city where I'm recognized by this. They don't know my name. They don't know who I am. But we will have conversations because I don't treat them any different than anybody else. When you carry peace, when you're in a state of peace, when you can walk with love and respect for all humans, you will be surprised who will talk to you. You think we don't have a drug problem in this neighborhood? Because the heroin is like water in this... I think it's cheaper than water, actually, now that I think about it. In this That's not funny, but I just just occurred to me. There are people that live in homes that will refuse to talk to somebody who's dealing drugs. And understand me, be responsible, be safe, you know, protect yourself, of course, right? Don't go out... You know what I'm saying. But you can smile and say hi. And then if they try to sling dope, you can say, no, thank you. I hope is dope. I'll give you some of mine. I'm a a hope dealer, slinger, pusher, right? There's other drug dealers up by Pimlico. They're having these events. So they just, they call out that people come and line the street, go back and forth. And they're giving heroin away for free. We should be doing that with hope. I'm getting excited. Likes, dislike, diversity, somebody's different than you. We should be bridging the gap. Bridge the gap. Don't mind the gap. Bridge the gap. Right? The good news of Jesus steps on the gap. It busts through the gap. It creates a bridge over the gap. Boy, that's good stuff. Second, repair bridges. Build bridges, repair bridges. This is the harder part. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And we've talked about interpersonal Um, conflict resolution, bringing forgiveness between you and somebody that's hurt you. I want to talk a little bit more specifically about next level. Somebody say next level. Next level level stuff where you are helping facilitate peace between other people. So help facilitate forgiveness between people who have hurt each other. We should become skilled in peacemaking. Interpersonal conflict resolution. Colossians 3, 12 through 15 says this, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with all love. That's the agape love word, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. This is our reasonable response to what Jesus has done for us to make it possible for us to be at peace in our relationship with God. God has already forgiven you of more than what you have to forgive of somebody else. And if we have learned to practice this, and I don't know about you, but my mother was the person who taught us this best. The first verse of scripture I ever memorized was about my interpersonal conflict with my sister. (laughs) Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. That's where the good news is real. That interpersonal conflict. And if we put it into practice ourselves, it is easier for us to help others put it into practice as well. Jesus talks about conflict resolution and peacemaking in Matthew chapter 18, 
verses 15 through 35. I'm just going to read that briefly. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you may say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Remember what Jesus said about that, love your enemies. I tell the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. When the king called in the man he had forgiven, he said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, we talked recently about forgiveness, and and I I would ask that you go back and listen. We've done it a few times this year, but um, two weeks ago in particular. In forgiveness, real forgiveness, there's suffering. There's suffering that God's aware of. There's suffering that God cares about. God is faithful to forgive the repentant who come to him through Jesus. God is also faithful to punish the guilty. Real forgiveness looks like this. The person who hurt you is in a jail cell. And you hold the key, which represents the right to punish them. Real forgiveness is opening up your hand, giving God that key, letting go, and giving God permission to punish that person as he sees fit. We talked more plainly, more explicitly about what that looks like and what that means. If we're not practicing this in our own life, our personal peace will be very limited. 
The home in our peace will always be, the, the peace in our home will always be fractured, and we will not be a good peacemaker with others. But if we will walk out the painful and freeing practice of forgiveness, we can live with real peace, real joy. Some of my childhood friends say that forgiveness is the story of my life because of the things that have been done against me, the ways in which I was hurt, that because of Jesus, I've been able to forgive. Relationships I've been able to restore. I can laugh because of this. Someone said, you know, Ben, you laugh so easy. That's just great. That's my favorite thing about you. It's only possible because of this. I've come to a place of real peace, real freedom, from life's hurts, hang-ups, and habits. Through this. But God wants us to not only experience this for ourselves, but to help bring it about for others. So let's talk a little bit more detail. What are some essential ingredients for peacemaking? Well, you do need to identify the source. What's the problem? What is the disagreement or the damage? This is very helpful. When we have a hurt and let it fester and don't resolve it, the more time that goes by, the bigger it feels and the less connected we are honestly with what it was. It's the truth. What is really needed is quickly identify What's the hurt? What's the problem? What's the disagreement? That's necessary. You might find yourself in the neighborhood with being in relationship with multiple people that are in disagreement with each other. I can't reveal too much about this, but I was involved in a pretty high-profile situation like this in this neighborhood. Two renowned people completely dysfunctional relationship, completely at odds with each other, and tried to get me to pit against the other person. If you can't help them identify what the hurt is, peacemaking is going to be shallow and fragile. Am I making sense? Right? got to honestly identify what's the degree, what's the disagreement, what's the damage. Now, second... And these are, remember, essential ingredients. If you take any of these ingredients out, it's not peacemaking that is helpful. Active listening. Now, we've talked about this before, but what I'm talking about is where you're listening to another person without just thinking about what you're going to say next. (laughs) I know. It's Mother's Day. Why am I doing this? Active listening is when you are truly listening, you love the other person with an intent to understand them. Right? Rebecca and I have been married 22 years. This is an essential ingredient in our relationship. She will say one thing, oh, I'm ready to come back at that. And then she said some other stuff, and then I get confused. (laughs) Only because I'm not actively listening. Are you with me? Active listening is an essential ingredient. Now, when you can bring the two parties together, here's some more essential ingredients. Describe the situation. Now, when you bring people together to do this, like 
And remember, I'm talking about the context of Jesus' advice, so we do not advocate counseling. If they haven't, I mean, gossip. (laughs) We believe in counseling. We don't advocate gossip. If the person has not spoken to the other person first, stop them from sharing encourage them and send them to go. They shouldn't communicate with you what the hurt is. You can give them some counsel and how to reconcile, but stop the sharing until they have communicated with the person first. If there wasn't a resolution that was brought to, then they come back to you. Then we activate the next phase. These are the words of Jesus, not my ideas. Healthy communication practices. What am I talking about here? When you are engaged in peacemaking, it's really important that you suggest to folks or that you yourself practice healthy communication. What that means is I make a commitment that I'm not going to say stuff with a purpose to injure them. Okay? Now, when something is really painful, when there's really suffering, this is difficult. But if you're a Jesus follower, this is commanded. Okay? You've done more against God than what this person has done against you. Keep that in perspective. So I make a commitment that I'm not going to communicate in such a way as to injure them. Now this would particularly include, say for example, and Rebecca, I have not had an argument this week, so I'm just going to use this as an example. We take into a disagreement that we might have on a subject, a commitment that I am not going to bring up the stuff that we have resolved before that's already been forgiven. I'm going to make a commitment that I'm not going to communicate in such a way as to cause pain. I'm not judge and jury. I'm not the one who gets to punish. When If I'm going to come into peacemaking, that is not the time for me to punish the other person. Now, you'll see the next one up there, so I'm sure you're waiting for me to get into that. (laughs) Express your feelings. Managing emotions appropriate versus inappropriate. Listen, I pretty much my whole life have been described as being emotional and I always thought that was a bad thing because I was a boy. I still am a boy. (laughs) Emotions are not bad. God created emotions. Jesus himself had a healthy expression of anger. Emotions are not bad. They're not bad. Now, what you do with them may be appropriate or inappropriate. It is appropriate in peacemaking to say, this is what you did and this is how it made me feel. That is healthy peacemaking to articulate how it made me feel. (laughs) Some of you are so ready for this to be done. (laughs) In the moment of that conversation and peacemaking, healthy communication practices do mean that you will need to exercise self-control as it relates to your own emotions. Now listen, you are God's child. God did not want you to get injured. It is healthy for you to express when you have been hurt. Okay? When you're helping other people in peacemaking, when you're restoring a bridge, this is important to understand. Unfortunately, I've heard church folks say, you shouldn't feel that way. Well, you know what? (laughs) God created us with emotions. I don't think it's up to us to tell someone else they shouldn't feel that way. (laughs) 
This is really interesting facial expressions I'm getting this morning. Express your feelings, manage the emotions, communicate in a way that's helpful, healthy, helpful, not hurtful. Okay? It's important. If the other person doesn't know how you feel, if you're just cramming it down and pretending it's not happening, you're not going to have real peacemaking. It's going to be thin, shallow, and fragile. Specify what you want done. What Jesus' advice, Matthew 18, what you see is resolution is always the goal. Resolution is the goal. We don't come into a peacemaking conversation with a purpose to hurt the other person. We come into a peacemaking conversation with the intent to bring about peace. That's why it's called peacemaking. (laughs) Peacemaking. Resolution is the goal. That's why it's called conflict resolution, not airing of grievances. (laughs) Okay. Essential ingredients. Source, what is the disagreement or damage? Active listening and empathy or understanding others. I'm sorry, but you cannot call yourself a Jesus follower if you're not getting around to the lesson of empathy. There's no one more empathetic than our Lord Jesus. A great deal of his whole purpose in coming down here. That he would understand us fully, completely. That he would understand us. Everything about Jesus informs us about God. If I'm going to be a Jesus follower, I should, in response to Jesus, not trying to pretend, not trying to be like somebody else, not comparing myself to someone else, but I should want to be like Jesus so I should seek to understand other people. We've talked about this before, but with the the unrest after Freddie Gray lost his life, uh, one of the most helpful questions is, why does a person feel this way? That's the healthy response of a Jesus follower. And when you venture into peacemaking in your neighborhood, on your workplace, in your school, and you're trying to bring together two parties, two people that are at odds with each other, you must be engaged in empathy before you can ask them to engage in empathy. Right? When, and I'm, I'm very careful to not say too much about my kids, you know, because a casual comment to a child who's a pastor's kid can be very hurtful. But one of the things that we do as parents in conflict resolution in our home, because we are humans, just in case you were wondering, not an Android or a Mac product. In conflict resolution in our own home, we want to ask the question, do you understand how the other person is feeling? Don't just say, I'm sorry, and it moves on. But do you have you considered how this made the other person feel? That's a healthy approach to conflict resolution. Does that make sense? What is the other person going through? Walk a mile in their moccasins. So I think what we should do is practice bridge building and bridge restoration. Will you stand with me and we'll close in prayer today. This morning, just going to start my closing prayer with a passage of Scripture from Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. 
or 24th or 27th. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. God, I thank you that in you, supernatural peace is possible. In our natural broken world, in our human broken thoughts and emotions. I thank you that real peace is possible because of you. I thank you that you have forgiven us our sins. And you allow us to extend that forgiveness to others. Lord, I thank you that you have put us in a place of pressure, of problems, of pain. And you've given us an opportunity to be peacemakers in that setting. So Lord, today, as we honor mothers, as we celebrate family and all of your goodness, may we walk out of here in your grace and peace. I thank you for that today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you would like prayer today, please don't leave until you have uh, received it. Grab myself or somebody else. Ask them to pray for you. Uh, mothers today, uh, all, all moms, please make sure that you grab one of the potted plants that are here for you. Uh, please uh, take them home. Enjoy them. Hey, have a great day. Let's share some love with each other. Grace and peace to you.